Hi, and welcome to another episode of Forgotten Cello Music. This is from Traveling Cello. I'm Aaron. Episode 33 today. Easy Lessons for First Practice. And some scales and arpeggios. By Mr. Cervetto. Jacobe Cervetto. In this episode, pointing out some exercises and musically notated examples germane to the study material, addressing points as a cellist and teacher of beginners, that's me, I'm a cellist and a teacher, giving technical instruction, which I would supplement this treatise with, and playing excerpts from the scales and chords, as we call arpeggios, pointing out useful items, and addressing some problematic uh, and maybe puzzling, in a way, choices, and also playing all ten of the easy lessons for first practice. Here's an introduction to the exercises by Giacobbe Cervetto. In this early cello treatise uh, for beginning students, as they say, for all ages, from England, uh, circa 1783, I'm not really sure. Trevetto died in 1783, and this is published with a note saying that it's the exercises from the late Trevetto. This is by Broderip and Wilkinson. In this treatise, there are pretty much all the topics, anything that you really need to get started. You would expect to encounter things about posture and bow hold, left hand, and of course, being able to read music. There are many musical notations, uh, examples, and nearly every subject has at least one or more musical notations. Now, after 20 pages, of laying the groundwork and a fair amount of reading. I wouldn't say it's verbose, but it's plenty to read through. Then comes pure music, scales, arpeggios, and ten easy lessons or exercises, as I like to call them. Now, about these scales and arpeggios, let's take a look at several aspects of the scales and arpeggios, keeping in mind that this treatise is for beginners and for all ages. Not all the keys are represented, but there are some surprising keys represented as well. As noted on page 25, preceding the arpeggios and chords, it says, principal chords in the most practicable keys. One might also assume that they were talking about the scales as well, even though it's not written there and the scales precede the arpeggios, because not all of the keys are represented. Some interesting observations in my mind are that D-flat major and E-flat minor are keys that are chosen for a beginner to practice, while F-sharp major is not. There could be a couple of reasons for that, but we'll come back to that later. The beginning student seems to be expected to achieve shifting without a whole lot of guidance. Now, the treatise does give the basic idea. So there's the concept. It's more like 
telling you where you begin and telling you where you end without any middle instruction. For example, they've laid the groundwork for playing all of the notes in first position in C major, for example. Open C, one on the C string for D, three on the C string for E, four for F. Now it says remove your hand to a higher position until the first finger plays the note equal to that of the open G string, a G note. And then they give some measurements in inches about how far fingers are apart from each other to get all the way up to the C, the octave above. So we're playing in fourth position, and they don't point out that to get to the C, at least in today's world, you would shift again to play a harmonic. They don't explicitly state that it should be G1, this is in fourth position, two extension for A, a three extension for B natural, and then a four for C. So that's G, A, B, C, four notes. That's not something that we do these days, but maybe they did it a lot back then. I'm not sure. It's a lot of extension, two extensions in the fingers, and we don't practice that these days. They do advise that you should use frets or cross lines. I'll call them tapes because that's what we do for beginners in many cases, at least in the United States. And this obviously helps discern the notes, so be sure and put those tapes in the right place. So a little bit more about shifting. Since the beginning student is expected to shift in the plane of scales and arpeggios, one might presume that they either know better or Broderip and Wilkinson were expecting them to be instructed further by a private teacher. And I find it rather curious that a beginner treatise would instruct a beginner to shift right away. Not that it's wrong necessarily or improper, but that doing multiple things, uh, it, it, let me put it this way. If you already know and have learned the first position and you you know very well around that position, the notes are in tune and you can play without too much tension or any tension, even better, then I suppose you could venture around. In reality, students venture around all the time and they're just eager to do all sorts of things. And that's fine. Um, it's nice if you can instruct a student from the beginning so that they get the, you know, the, the movement and the posture really well from the get-go. It is interesting that the scales are not necessarily from octave to octave. They oftentimes encompass an octave and an additional fourth or an additional fifth. And this is true for both the scales and arpeggios. There are lots of extensions that are necessary in these keys, the keys with more flats and more sharps. And it doesn't seem obvious to me that they are instructing for this kind of 
hand posture, hand position, at least not explicitly. So I might have missed something, but I have transcribed this into a fair copy because the scan was terrible. And I had to make some educated guesses for one or two of the words. But okay, above all, well, overall, it was really pretty good. At least I could read it, but certainly not for performance. So I made myself a fair copy. If anyone is interested in that, I'd be happy to offer it for uh, maybe um, a small donation. It took uh, tens of hours. Tens, I don't even know. I was working on it over the course of two weeks. And uh, in some, some of the days, I was on it for hours at a time. Now we go on to the exercises for first practice by Cervato. So there are 10 of these little studies in various moods, as they say, and we call them times, and keys. Uh, they will use all of the note types that were introduced. So we've got in the old or the British system even today, semi-brev, whole for the Americans, uh, like me, Minim, half note, crotchet, quarter note, quaver, eighth note, semi-quaver, 16th note, demi, semi-quaver, 32nd note. And all the moods and time signatures are utilized in the instructional portion, which I think I had already pointed out. <laughs> I am going through a, a kind of a run sheet here, but I'm doing it rather loosely. <clears throat> But we'll get around to it. Sometimes rep repetition is good. It uh, it does seem that they are arranged in progressive dif difficulty, easy to hard. And here are some observations about the 10 easy lessons. When you do a surface analysis of the exercises of notes, keys, uh, string crossings, bowings, so we are looking at technique as well. You would have to concede that they are quite simple. You know, they're short, they're simple, but they are difficult in a way too, especially in respect to a beginner. Now, personally, after, uh, let's see here, 20 years, I guess, of teaching, plus 20 years. I have been able to instruct many a beginner, and many of those beginners I started from the very first square and brought them into cello playing posture uh, condition. These little exercises are difficult for them for a number of reasons. Uh, not the least being string crossings. They are quite abundant and not, I would say, not really regular in, in that they're maybe not easy to anticipate. And also, maneuverability is not very easy. And when I say that, I... I have to explain that when a cellist takes to string crossings, we, we need to consider three main elements, 
Okay, let me say this about a violin or a viola player. Now, they have a fourth finger that is able to play the same, exactly the same pitch as the string above. So if they're playing a fourth finger on G string, for example, that's the D, which is the same note, exactly the same octave as the D open string. Cello players are unable to do this because of the, the length of the fingerboard. The string itself is just too long. Our fourth finger plays an entire whole step under the open string. So if you're playing fourth finger on the G string, it's actually a C, not a D. That's a whole note. Uh, that's a whole step. So these things that we consider when we're crossing strings is the string plane. What is the plane? Like if you're on the D string plane, it is kind of the the string that is on the very top of the arc that is the, the bridge. The bridge determines the arc of the strings. Then you need to think about arm or elbow movement. It goes up and down to accommodate for the string plane. If you're playing on an A string, the elbow goes up. If you're playing on the C string, it goes way down. And then, of course, bow direction. All of these things can help us prepare and to maneuver more accurately and with better sound. These exercises are fairly unpredictable for the beginner and even for the advanced player if you're not used to playing this style, this Baroque style uh, music, that they have these awkward string crossings oftentimes that uh, seem counterintuitive to the way that we are taught how to play these days and the music that we are given. Not that it's impossible or that it's um, bad writing. It's just the way they did it. And we have to learn to accommodate our hands in different ways. So, you know, this, the beginner just really doesn't have the coordinating motions yet or the knowledge to know what to do especially with the really fast tempos. In my time as a teacher, up to now, I have noticed that the fewer the string crossings from the beginning and for the first couple of months, the easier it is that the student will pick up coordinating motions. You need to target string crossings so to get into string crossing technique a little bit deeper, um, we'll go over all three of those points in a slightly more detail. So we should know which string we are going to. When we're crossing strings, of course, I mean, it's like crossing the street. If you don't look where you're going, you don't know where you're going, you're going to get into an accident, probably or you're just not going to go anywhere. So you need to know, is it a higher string or is it a lower string? And then number two, point one really tells the elbow what to do. If you're going to a higher string, the right elbow needs to go up. If you're going to a lower string, the elbow needs to go down. And then the bow direction for number three. It's important because if you're playing 
from a down bow and then crossing and the new string will be an up bow, it'll be in a different place on the bow than it would be if you were playing an up bow, crossing the string, and then playing the new string on a down bow. I mean, when you're experienced, you, you know all those things, but you don't think about them as a beginner. Knowing the bow direction really gives the advantage. And even if you don't know conscientiously all of those things that I said, if at least you know the bow direction, it sure gives you uh, a much better chance of playing smoothly. On page 14, it talks about of beating time, so time signatures. Uh, this contains examples of various time signatures. They are succinct examples and are fairly good and useful exercises as well. So it's just, I think, one measure for each time signature, and it's all in C major. So it gives you um, the different note values, and you can learn to count. You can learn to cross the strings on something relatively regular. You just repeat each measure many times, do it slowly, get a little faster, and so on. In the exercises, there are a couple of things that we can do to simplify these and thereby focusing on one element at a time. I think it's worth spending time on each element to figure out and put your entire focus on that element rather than trying to figure out three or four things all at once. So you could do open strings, just play one open string and retain the rhythm of the exercise. And then you could practice doing each finger just on one open string. And by the way, do them on all of the open strings, at least eventually. And then you could move on a little bit. Instead of using the left hand and only playing one open string, play the open string as it corresponds to the string used in the example. So the first note is on a G string, play an open G string, even though it's a fourth finger. The second note is on the D string, play an open D string, even though it's a first finger, and so on. So whatever it is, you play the string that corresponds to the music. Then, to get the left hand fingers into the knowledge of what the hand frame is like and what the notes are and what to expect, put your bow down and play pizzicato. I have found that by doing very simple exercises and then combining several elements later, that the student seems to uh, pick up much quicker. There are some students that can handle a lot more but I, in my experience, most, much like myself, do much better if you focus on one element at a time. And finally, here we are with the 10 studies that I will perform without a break. These are the 10 studies. I will name the tempo and the mood or the time signature. 
Here they are, Easy Lessons for First Practice by Mr. Cervetto on page 28 of Broderip and Wilkinson's Cello Treatise. Number one, Adagio, Common Time. Number two, Andante, Common Time. Number three, Allegro, Cut Time. Number four, Presto, Two-Four Time. Number five, Allegro, Six-Eight Time. Number six, Allegro, Six-Four Time. Number seven, Vivace, Twelve-Eight Time. Number eight, Largo, Three-Two Time. Number nine, Allegro, Three-Four Time. And number ten, Presto, Three-Eight Time. And now, enjoy all ten easy lessons for first practice. quite interesting to do something like this. So in forgotten cello music, I my focus is on music that is not really being played that much or if at all. And this is one of those examples where sure we don't teach exactly the way that they're describing things anymore, but it is really useful for understanding the mindset uh, and the teaching method, the approach to the instrument back in those days. 
Now, I'm not a period performer, but I do really like Baroque music and earlier. I think it's just fantastic music, and the sweetness of the thirds and the sixths are unsurpassed in just really beautiful music, just enjoyable music to play and listen to. Now, as I've already mentioned, I have my own fair edition. I have spent hours and hours typing in to my computer all of the words and inserting all of the musical examples that I have entered into my musical notation software, MuseScore, which is free for everyone to download and use. And it, it will be posted in excerpts. So I won't post the entire thing, but I will do um, comparisons for a couple of examples so you can see what it's like. And for anybody that might be interested, I will put it on my blog at WordPress, Traveling Cello Journey. And uh, there you can purchase it for uh, download at your convenience. So what I say is take a lesson from these historical documents. This historical treatise, uh, it's got pretty much everything you need. And like I said, you can make your own simplified exercises out of what is written there. And you don't need to play the complete scale, even though it goes higher than you're able to or would like to. Stop at the octave. You don't need to go to the extra five notes. And the 10 easy lessons do the same thing. Just simplify, uh, do pizzicato. And uh, then later on, I'm still working on the musical selections from this treatise. There are uh, some really nice duets, and there are a couple of solos included at the end. So be looking forward to that. I will probably be doing all of the examples, uh, selections from this treatise, because it's just really interesting, and it's right up my alley, playing forgotten child music. Also for extra purchase would be available very soon, my own edition. So not only a fair copy for purchase, but separately you could purchase my edition with uh, fingerings, bowings, and instructional tips that go along with the exercises. And these will be in the form of annotations in the margins or directly under or above the musical examples that I'm referring to. Check back later. I will keep people keep you updated as to when and how you can access that. That's it for now. It's been a long episode. And remember to play more forgotten cello music 